Welcome to the Hay Kings podcast brought to you by Vermeer, your expert in hay and forage equipment. I want to say a special thank you to Vermeer for sponsoring the podcast. Without their help, none of this would be possible. If you're so inclined, please visit vermeer.com forward slash haykings for more information. Today on the podcast, we're joined by TJ Steele. TJ's a frequent guest on the podcast, and I look forward to this conversation on farm finances. Farm finances are a professional interest of mine. And I can't wait to hear what TJ's got going on. What are you thinking, TJ? One thing we're kind of looking at doing is maybe possibly being involved in a bookkeeping business set up more for ag. Kind of the primary driver is I'm just figuring out there's just a whole lot of people in ag that just don't have a good bookkeeping, not accounting. I mean, everybody has to do accounting to pay taxes, but people just don't have necessarily a good bookkeeping system. And I think it's getting to be... Um, hugely important in all ag operate. I mean, any form of business, it's going to become more important. But, you know, to, to within a couple of minutes or the same business day, you know, have expense reports and P&L statements and accounts receivables and all that stuff. If you're, you know, if you're trying to run a fluent, efficient business, I think is hugely important. I uh, asked my banker the other day, I've been approached by other guys who inquire because we've got a very good bookkeeping lady that does our stuff and yeah she's you know she is <clears throat> she's approached quite often for the same reason but she's busy enough with ours we about need to hire somebody else to even help her so <laughs> she doesn't have time right anyway people are just like man what are you doing you know how are you doing this and um you know a lot of us reports that we get back that we send out to producers and then they see that and you know they're just wanting to ask questions and we by no means are professionals or we're still not to the place that I want to be or where we should be, but we're trying to get there. And anyway, I just asked the bank the other day, I said, Hey, if you just took ag businesses of a gross income of a million dollars and less, yep. uh, how many of those could produce you a P and L statement um, within, you know, within an hour to the same business day? None of them. Yep. He said, maybe, maybe 30%, maybe. Maybe. And I said, okay, how many, how many of those businesses could produce you full financials at that point in time within the same business week, giving you seven days to get it done? And he said, probably 10% yeah. if you're lucky. Maybe. And then you have to question the results of what you're getting too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he said, you know, to be able to just hit a print button on a QuickBooks report or any of them kind of systems, he said, it's about almost a zero. So, you know, and then just given the other inquiries and we're in a, we're in a large area. So the, the upper end of those guys, they're doing it all in house because they have to. Mm -hmm. And then you have a whole lot of guys that are large enough that they ought to be spending some money to do that. You know, a lot of them aren't, they're trying to do it themselves and that works. I mean, they're getting by obviously, or they wouldn't be operating, but I just think there's an opportunity. I mean, the reality is, uh, so yes, I completely agree. The reality is they've not been audited. Yeah. So it, it doesn't matter. And as long as they don't get audited, everything's fine. The second they get audited, all hell breaks loose, right? Yep. That I, I think a lot of these producers that are doing it themselves on QuickBooks, 
they don't stand a chance. Yeah. They they yep. do not stand a chance. And then in particular, the hay business, uh, now you're you're operating at a different scale, but that million dollars and less, there's there's still a lot of guys that'll do cash deals on the sides and that gets that gets super messy if you're if you're trying to be honest with yourself. Exactly. Ignore being honest with the government. Government, if, yeah. You I really work to separate these two ideas out and I have to work at it really hard in my own operation too, right? So many producers take and have their taxes done and within the letter of the law, they reduce their tax liability and somewhat artificially in relation to their business operations, right? We play all sorts of games with prepays and all sorts of games with depreciation. And then we pretend like we can use those records... To go to the bank. (laughs) To go to to the bank. Or, Or, even more important, the thing that nobody does is uses their records for their own managerial decision-making process. Yeah, Yeah, first thing I always ask when I get involved with anybody on their finances, is this for tax accounting purposes? Yeah. Or is this your business perspective? Yeah. Because they're two different things. Yeah. And you can't make wise decisions to move forward with a business off of your tax accountant's paperwork they turned in for taxes. If it is, it's not going to be accurate and you're probably going to have a problem. Yeah, I mean, the the reality of... Well, we can dig through depreciation a little bit, and this is a big topic for everybody, right? Section 179 has made farmers the worst business managers on the face of the earth. <laughs> Agreed. That's that's not a stretch. I mean, it's, that's <laughs> no. an unintended consequence, and it's something that yes. we deal with in agriculture all the time. Yeah. Uh, well, and a lot of us, because that agri- that that system of management in farming has never been a business. Maybe in the last 20 years, definitely, but probably in the last 10 to 15 years, it's becoming, it's not a maybe, it's a have to. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're talking about being <laughs> professional managers. And, yes. And you start playing games with depreciation and you lose sight of the, the reality of the situation because on your taxes, that tractor that you buy... When it's depreciated out, its residual value is zero. Yeah. And that is substantially different than the actual value. Value. Yeah, and QuickBooks, for a good example, doesn't have that fair market value or salvage value or any of those values. It goes from a purchase price to a zero. Yeah. That's why you can't use a QuickBooks program, so to speak, for for your your balance sheet. Yeah. Yeah, for your assets because it's not in there. Correct. Now, Now, there's ways to do it, but... It's not in the program. Everybody should have a written farm plan, and that should look different for everybody. But the first thing that you have to have in that farm plan is a list of assets. And there's a couple of reasons for that. You should be getting insurance on those assets. So so your insurance company needs that list. You should know where all your stuff is. And if, yep. if you don't have a good tally on your stuff, you're that's just slop, right? Yeah. Uh, your yep. banker's going to want that list. Yep. And your tax preparer wants that list. Everybody yep. needs to know what Everybody equipment's there. Oh, and you're yep. like, we have we we pay property taxes too, right? <laughs> yep. If we're not managing our property taxes, right? Uh, like, yep. we just play so many games trying to avoid the system. That it makes us yeah. poor managers. That's right. The first thing that I always preach when you're doing a, a written business plan is to list out the assets that you have 
and put it in an Excel sheet that you can send to everybody. Yep, yep. That's that's so important. We've done really well, I would say probably exponentially well, but we're always improving and we're never where we want to be. So I can't say yeah. excellent, right? But right. we have done extremely well of figuring this out one step at a time to manage everything that we've spoke about. And that in turn has been able to allow us to grow uh, because you know where you're at, because everybody else knows where you're at. That's, you know, relationship and that operation. It's all connected, you know, with some form or another. Well, and it's it's all about communication too. There's lots of different types and necessities of communication, right? So as we yep. think about interacting with employees... As we think about interacting with landowners or customers, if you're doing custom operations versus lease ground. Yep. And then you have yep. to interact with the insurance company and the banker and, and yep. family members, right? And something that's super stressful in agriculture is keeping all of that stuff in your head. And yeah. that, that's stress-inducing, right? If you're not... If you're not it's, writing this stuff down and you're just rolling it through your head all the time, well, this is worth this and this is worth this. This is my rough balance sheet. Doing that with your bank balance is the worst. Yeah. But if you backed up 20, 30, 40 years, that was normal. Yeah. You know, like having that stuff in your head's normal. And for that guy, it's probably not stressful until he has a son or he has a brother or he has a grandparent or he has the banker and it's asking him all these questions that he can't produce. Yes. Because to have that in your head and to operate and, you know, to operate off of an operating note is not the way to manage a business. I'm not condoning that at all. However, if you're running that stuff in your head and you're going on a payoff of an operating note, you'll farm the next year or you'll run the business the next year. But it's like, that's not stressful until it becomes stressful because there's questions that need answers and there's problems that need solutions. And then now it's stressful because how do I get that stuff out of my head? You know, now all of a sudden I'm not the only person doing that. You know, man, when I started this, when I was 20, I had two tractors and a baler or two tractors and a combine. Like I managed it in my head and I had my mind wrapped around it. But now we're 40, 50 and 60 years old and there's other generations and there's other people. And all of a sudden, what, how can, you know, how am I managing this? How, how can I answer these questions? And then, and then you wake up someday and realize these people actually have the right to know. (laughs) know, Like, like, Hey, we are actually part of this thing together, whether that be financial partner or operations partner that maybe we all have to be on the same page. And that's where the stress level comes. And there's so much family involved in this. And the way that I always put it is we have an obligation to take care of those around us and to yep. communicate with those around us. Yep. And if we're not doing a good job of communicating, we're not doing a good job taking care. And if you had to pull a percentage, and maybe I'm more of a pessimistic in this way, but I'm also walking through part of that as well myself. If you had to take that that uh, statement that you just said and put a percentage to those people who are doing that in ag, what, what would you pull? I'm going to give a couple of examples. If we're thinking about a, a husband and wife with a couple of kids... I think those communications, by and large, are decent. And when they're yes, not... I would agree with that. And where they're not, that you get marital problems and all sorts of other things <laughs> that I, I'm yeah. really not qualified yeah. to talk about, but it's not hard to imagine, right? Yeah, yeah. Those results come to the surface and are publicly related really fast. Yep. Oh, <laughs> That's yeah. an easy way to say that. Yeah, 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 exactly. Intergenerational communication, 
I don't think it's quite as good as between spouses, right? Yeah. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna rate the spouses at 80 percent have have good communication around finances. Uh, I mean, we kind of have this agricultural stereotype about the husband's out doing the work and the wife is keeping the books. And and I think there there's obviously truth to that stereotype. And I think those those things work. That's important. Yeah. As we think about the father and son combo, I, I think that gets a little worse. Uh, I'm going to yep. guess less than half have good communications. And, and probably of those half that have those communications, you're probably talking half that again. So 25% would actually have have uh, both minds in a place that could take on that operation without the other. Yes. Does that make sense? Yeah. Probably 25% of the agricultural world could take the passing of a generation into the next one or even dad happened to take something up because the son left for whatever reason, you know, whether that's health or whether that's just tired of it or whatever, yep. vice versa. I would say you've probably 25% would probably be a high number. No, I completely agree. And I, I would just capitalize on that. And then somewhat of my personal situation, a lot of that is because there's been too much trade accounts with no description or no dollars. Yeah. You know, farmers are really good at, well, I'll trade you this for this. Um, <laughs> and they'll, you know, they'll say yes and agree to that this time, even if you're on the backside of it, because you're going to help somebody, right? Like if you're helping your son, if you're helping your neighbor, you don't mind it costing you a little money, but then if the neighbor or that son thinks this is the way the world's going to be with that or neighbor, and then all of a sudden that relationship is being abused, but yet we started it. You know, the abuse started from a mutual agreement. Then fast forward another five to 10 years, and now you got unhappy neighbors and unhappy father, sons, or family members, and it's a pretty muddy situation. Now, as I think about an agricultural producer's capacity to communicate with their lender, that gets rough. Yep. Because they're one, I see they're emotionally involved. It's hard for producers to not be emotionally involved when it is your finances, it is your family, it is your, you know, it is your lifeline. But sometimes the best decisions are the most hurtful to make, so to speak, or the most complicated ones to make. Well, absolutely. And because of the emotion, you kind of got to love some of this stuff to work long hours. And I heard it described once really well. There's a, a loan officer for a bank out of Oregon. And she was talking about, well, we were, we were having a general discussion about cattle producers. And there was kind of a, I don't want to say a degrading comment made about cattle producers being poor communicators, it, just in the style that we're talking about. Uh, because they, they do it for the passion and they really don't care money one sure. way or the other. And she pointed out that there's there's a very human element to this, that that passion that makes producers ignore the money is also what makes somebody get up in the middle of the night to check cows or to, yeah, to, to strip off when it's 20 degrees and blowing hard outside to pull a calf. So you have to balance those two things. And where you see really successful... Uh, really big success stories is where you layer that financial knowledge into that financial capacity, that managerial skill set around money. You layer that into that passion that gets you up at two o'clock in the morning. If you if you put that same dedication into your finances, you'd be just fine. If you put half that dedication yeah. into your yeah. finances, you'd be just fine. Well, I mean, just to capitalize on that, 
the percentage of time that you have to spend in a program or doing your finances or being sure your mind is wrapped around it is in the single digits compared to your time on the farm, compared to your time in a tractor, compared to the time on anything else you're investing your time in. Most of us probably couldn't even say we put 10% of that time to a set of books. Let's take a break there and we'll get a word from our sponsor. My name is Rob Flowers, live in Whitesboro, Texas. The 604R premium efficiency level is through the roof. Dependability and durability on the 604R has been outstanding. We've had zero chain issues, zero bearing issues. The camless pickup has been phenomenal. And at the end of the day, that gives me more time to go home and be with my family. Prepare for the next day, get more done. Hear the full story at makinghay.com slash haykings. Let's talk about this. Let's put it out there. How much time in a week do you spend sitting down to your books? Whether that's communicating with your bookkeeper, actually looking at reports, reviewing overdue invoices. <laughs> Probably having to break it down piece by piece. I, I would say, like, to answer the question directly, every day, how much time do you spend on an average throughout the year? If you could spend one hour a day, every day when you wake up or before you went in to complete something for your work, company or business in a financial uh, book yep. um, area, would probably be pretty fair because you can do a lot if you're on top of it. Now that hour a day at the end of the year isn't anything, you know, you're going to spend 12 hours a day for a week, you know, trying to get all of the equipment and the reports and making sure your insurance is, you know, when that renewal comes up and doing all the things that you have to take, that takes an enormous amount of time. Now, if you want to talk, you know, directly, let's talk about us as an example Um, I visit with my bookkeeper daily, whether that's text messages, phone calls, or sitting face-to-face. I mean, there is seldom a day that will pass where there's not something to be asked or answered. What do those interactions look like? Uh, Because our bookkeeper is also, you know, she's doing all the billing, all of our scale tickets, you know, that's everything that encompasses what we do. So there's field counts, there's producers to be paid, uh, grinding jobs that are not our normal. Um, there's prices, you know, and the hardest thing for me that probably to have communicated with her uh, when we started was if you don't know the answer, that is your that is your direct message to call me. You know, like if you don't have the direct answer, you have to see that and you can't guess like you can't look back and maybe see what we did for this other guy because she doesn't know, you know, she doesn't have the outdoor perspective of what we're doing. She's seeing it on black and white. So, so those daily communications have a lot to do with those things. And we've streamlined a lot of that because I mean, you should be like the the less, the least amount of interaction that is needed most of the time in a correct instance, that is efficiency. You know, we don't need to communicate for an hour a day if we could be running an app on a telephone. Um, If I can be filling out some paper reports, you know, maybe our field guys have those reports. Like we've we've really tried to streamline each of those things where we found a hiccup or miscommunication. You can do that. It's kind of interesting that like you can do that on every aspect, almost except for her and I, because you still have to talk. When we repeat the same things or when we see the same results that we're doing, like, hey, we've had to visit this two or three times and we both say, OK, what do you need from me? And then in turn, how do I get that to you? 
and then and then you just evaluate that that simple perspective. So those daily things are usually has a lot to do with just your day to day operations, the things that are coming in and out of accounts, uh, money balances, payments that are due, um, how big the payments that are due, some you got a budget for. Uh, what's your cash flow looking like, you know, just the things that I have to know to be able to move forward. And then those things she has to know to do her accounting. Um, And the longer you go, the easier it is. I would say that now at any time you introduce an amount of growth or you introduce anything kind of new into that company, as far as paperwork wise, um, that's another, you know, it's another step. It's another It's another communication level. It's something else that you have to do one-on-one to have a good result from that. Now, this time of year, one thing that we struggle with, even for the quantity and size, and and it's all scalable. Like, I don't care if you're doing, you know, 1,000 bales a year, 10,000 or 100,000. Your time to have results are almost identical. You could kind of say the end of the year, is always tough. Uh, one, you got a 1099, everybody, you know, that's got to come out. Um, you got to collect all that information. If you have a bunch of new people, uh, the repetition helps a lot. You know, if your business doesn't change a lot, it's kind of fine tuned, but our biggest deals equipment, people in and out as employees, you got to keep up with, but that goes on through the year that you had mentioned earlier insurance. Well, you know, that's a really big deal. It's good to have insurance on everything, and it becomes a light item expense that is part of your P&L, that you have to divide that back by the number of tons or the number of acres because you can't run without it. And if you are, you're taking a big risk. So I think in the hay industry, to just capitalize on that, there's too many line item expenses that are not taken into consideration when you do a cash flow statement. There's just too much that... Like for us, everything is paid for throughout the year off of that income. So everything has a line item expense, which is another reason why QuickBooks is so good because it's going to line item every one of them expenses and you're going to see that. But then you have to have the time to go back through and evaluate that and look at it and and then, you know, put that into next year. But I think one of the problems that a lot of uh, beginning operations face is we leave that stuff out and we leave it out because we don't know it. I'm actually just looking through one of mine, just like the one that I was used for examples is tires. Uh-huh. Our average tire bill a year is like $40,000. Yep. Like you don't line item that stuff when you're just sitting at home on the kitchen table, you know, running your fertilizer expense and all that. Are you, sorry, are you using QuickBooks? Yes. And are you using tags? So kind of connecting to how our conversation started, we've been approached for any system that works and I need to dig in more to it because I know other financing and accounting places use different software that's set up more for agriculture. However, I think those systems probably do not do as good of a job as far as line iteming and counting a checkbook. And you may, I want your opinion on that, but from what I see of other programs, they may be really good at one, at one aspect, but QuickBooks is really good with a checkbook. Does that make sense? Yes. Would you agree with that? Or is there something that is leading the industry from your perspective that you see in available software to do this? Yeah. So for Hey, I know there's been folks that built their own, 
But those, I mean, those are really large operations, probably on the scale of what you're doing. You're you're yeah. probably to the point that you could build your own. We ha- actually have had that discussion, and I know some companies that have. And a matter of fact, that stemmed from when we were in California. So not to interrupt you, but you're, yeah. you're right. You're exactly right, and that's kind of where we stand. There's a and, there's a Canadian guy that built his own. He'd probably be good to talk to, and he did it because. The software doesn't work good for inventory tracking. Hay's hard enough to inventory, right? Because you you don't know how much you put up until it goes across the scales. And that might be, could be days, weeks, or months, or sometimes years later, right? You think about a cow-calf guy that's feeding out their own hay that they produced. It might never go across to scale. And if if that's the case... You got nothing. To, to answer your question, yes, there's other stuff out there, but off the shelf, uh, QuickBooks, QuickBooks is okay. It's, yep. it's a little bit like the Swiss Army knife. It does everything, but it doesn't do everything perfectly. So I'm going to circle back to the question that you ask on the tags, and I may not understand exactly what you mean by tags or we use a different yeah. language. And, and it might be different versions, right? Yeah, whether it's so, desktop or online or whatever. To to start right there, we use desktop. We started with online. Online does not have as many features internally to do the things that we're talking about. However, the online version is more. It's a lot easier to communicate in and out of between people if that's an issue for distance and those kind of things. But what I have learned in QuickBooks, and we are still learning. And all this is around them conversations that my my bookkeeping lady and these other inquiries have been around is we're figuring out by accident some of the things that QuickBooks offers and will do just from categor- categorizing stuff, parent categories, um, actually looking at your reports and then figuring out the language that QuickBooks uses that actually will work in ag, but it's not communicated that way. So we've kind of had to go at it backwards and look at the reports and say, oh, this is actually reported here and computed in this aspect, whether that's asset liability or what. So we're actually talking about an asset, but how do we get it there, right? And then how could we break down fields and the income inside a QuickBooks. So we've discovered that a lot of that is there. Um, One of the things that I'm searching for myself current is to find that person maybe inside of that program um, to say, hey, we've got maybe this ag side of QuickBooks. The reason why we're doing that is because QuickBooks, I would recommend for anybody to account your checkbook. But what we've ran into and everybody that I know of Like I know this one company that they did design their own software. They did spend the money to do that. And they've walked me through it and shared the numbers. And they actually ran that system side by side with their old accounting system for one year before they were able to make the shift. So they spent the money and they overlapped it. They did twice the amount of work because not that they didn't trust it. They just didn't have it well to where they could trust it right so they did that for a year but what we run into now is okay now you got everything on spreadsheet and spreadsheet does nothing automatically excel does nothing you know when you make a payment it doesn't take it off it doesn't add it to 
So you double the work on everything. To use QuickBooks and to use Excel, you're going to double the work on everything. Now, that's not bad. That's probably, you're probably 75% of everything you need and is manageable to a certain size. So for any of those out there that are doing that, kudos to you. You're better than most, right? Like you're you're making the attempt and you're getting good results and you may have to take an asset spreadsheet to your banker because your P&L statement is incorrect through QuickBooks or your P&L is right, but your balance sheet's not right because, you know, your balance sheet doesn't show grain in the grain bin or a haystack. Hey, so you take all those spreadsheets and all that information and then you're able to present that and say, this is the picture of our business. And I laugh because now we're going to come back to a handwritten financial statement for your bank. I just went through all of this. <laughs> I I don't speak QuickBooks well enough to have the faith to say this. I know what my situation is, and it's all in QuickBooks correctly, and I'm going to send that to my banker. I don't want to lie to my banker. That's bad form, right? That's that's right, that's right. terrible every day of the week. That's That's part of that being responsible thing, right? I spend the time and the money on QuickBooks, and then I send my asset and my inventory sheet to my banker in Excel. Isn't that isn't that silly? Just yep. silly. Yeah. But it's better than anything else we've had. Correct. A- absolutely. Yeah, I would never, like, and it's it probably exists in QuickBooks, and I'm just not good enough at it, right? To To take this the information that I have. I went out, I do inventories on my haystacks. I have a pretty good, I I have a really good idea on bail count. I know exactly what I have left. I know what that hay's worth. The other thing is it's not worth what it was when I put it up. Then if you had put it into QuickBooks, then you'd have to do an inventory adjustment. I'm just not confident enough to do those sorts of things. So I'm going to capitalize on that. And we're floating through the exact same things and we're trying to figure out where all this stuff fits and how it can be the, the, the thing of it is the two main obstacles you're trying to overcome are variable amounts of money, not income, not necessarily expenses, but you're, you're trying to compute on a, on a report two variable forms of income and QuickBooks is not a variable form income. Only way QuickBooks does that is manual entries, which is no different than your accountant does to use QuickBooks to do your taxes at the end of the year, but you're talking amounts of money that are variable and QuickBooks doesn't like that, you know, and QuickBooks doesn't like anything that has any variation. It tries to automatically categorize every single transaction. Yeah. Yep. And, and it's expecting monthly cash flows. Yeah. And that's a problem because in agriculture, we have annual cash flows and worse yet, if you think about establishing a new, Hayfield, that's a those are seven year time frames. And if you're buying a new yep. piece of equipment and you're thinking about paying it off in five years, that's a five year time frame. And then you have hay that sits for two years. Well, that's yep. a different time frame. And it just yep. it gets so messy so fast. And it's hard to undo. In QuickBooks, everything is hard to undo. Yeah. Um, so. I went to my bookkeeper and said I've done pretty good keeping up on my transactions. I have several transactions that are they're not done yet because I don't know how to do it right. And I and I'm afraid of that. And then they asked yep. me when the last time it was reconciled and I said, hmm. "Do you, you I, I mean the 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 
sentiment was, you do not want me doing the reconciliation. <laughs> yeah, because I can't. Yeah. You know, and, and they can't without, like, that's something that needs to be done every month because you can't make it right if it's not right January 1st. Yes. You can't make it right if March 15th is not right. And you pick any day out of 365 days, and you cannot you cannot do that if it's not right. You cannot reconcile it if it's not right. So that's that was our QuickBooks beginning. That was probably our biggest hurdle right off the bat. Oh, man, we love this setup. This is great. We've got it in here. And we get to the end of the year, and it's like, this doesn't match anything we got. Yep. But everything's in there, right? Well, okay, now you can't even use the P&L because yep. it doesn't match your checkbook. Yep. You know, so we did, we got there. We did overcome that. And that was a huge step forward. So, you know, I would just say that we probably threw everything in a bucket um, thinking we were doing good. And then we had to start picking things out one at a time to get better at, you know, as long as it's in the bucket, at least you can go to the shop and find it. You, you, you don't know what's in there, right? Like you don't know what's in your toolbox of that bucket because it's not labeled, you know, you can't see it. There's stuff in the bottom. So we basically just started pulling it out one at a time. You usually always have to do that at the end of the year. And, you know, then you're at a time frame where you're like, okay, this stuff has to be done. I need this number, this number, and this number with this report. So let's get that move forward. Um, you're still better than, you know, still keep in mind, you're still 50% better than most, right? Like you're still making headway, even though it's still organized chaos. So, then we just start trying to take each piece of it out and okay, this year let's let's get better here. So last year was okay, let's actually get this thing reconciled month to month. Now our QuickBooks matches our checkbook, right? So now we can run that report and we can see there. So okay, we got this one down. And then now your next one, one we're currently working on is this equipment deal and figuring out how to capture those values. And like I said, QuickBooks has a purchase price and then it you know, it'll have that payment going back and forth, which is what we need. And anyway, well, like I said, we're just pulling this stuff out one at a time. And, and it, you know, anybody that's doing that, you know, there's there's a deal in there that's ask accountant. And my advice is fill it up <laughs> because if it's there, you know, it's there. You know, there's other expense like fill it up, <laughs> you know. Those are all the transactions that I don't have entered yet. Is yep. they're, they're all labeled ask my accountant. And that report's not going to be right until those are categorized. Yep. So, you know, it just, but I think for a lot of us, I mean, I'm, I was a hundred percent that way. It's like, man, I'm going to do this program and, you know, all questions and all obstacles, like all this, it's just going to live in a perfect world. And the, and the result is that's not true. Like everything you do, you're going to create not problems, but you're going to create instances that need solutions, no matter what you do, whether that's in the field whether that's in your accounting, uh, whether that is your bookkeeper or whether that is your accountant, like there's always, there's always things that need solutions and questions that need answered. And to say that anybody is probably to a spot where that doesn't happen. Um, they're probably a business that has been established for years and probably multiple generations that have a system that works and it's pretty consistent. And that's not very much often or very often in ag. Right. I mean, it's just, kind of simple that way. I mean, just think of the variations. Now, some folks don't have variations in the fields that they farm, but sure. I'm, I'm here to tell you, oh, you, you'll like this story. I was at a ag workshop the other day giving a presentation, and I asked everybody in the room, there was 
uh, 65 people in the room, and I asked everybody under 40 years old to stand up. And out of that 65, there was 20 probably. And of that 20, that stood, so a third was under 40 years old, I asked those that own more than 20 acres of agricultural land to remain standing. And there was one guy that remained standing. Well, that hurts my heart. That speaks to the nature of who owns farmland and who has consistency in their operations. Because if you don't own it, it could go away. Or, <laughs> I mean, there's competition out there, there's relationships with landlords, and then there's strict economics that say, I'm not making any money on that field this year, next year, or the year after I'm done with it. So the hardest reality in what you just said is the number one thing that I look at and ask myself often. You know, if that one guy's standing, my question to everybody else in that room would be, what are you working for then? Yeah. I was really trying to put the point out to the old guys in the room that they have a lot of assets that the millennials can't afford. Yeah. And that's that's just the reality. That's the reality. And two reasons. We just went through a, a world where we're still in an inflationary period where the value of that farmland is increasing. That's why all the institutional investors have been playing around in, in agriculture, the Bill Gates of the world, the, the Harvard yep. Endowment Funds of the world. They're counting on that ag land appreciation as part yep. of their investment strategy. And baby boomers are too. It's been the security that's been a constant. Even the variation in price, it's still, it's still a large... It's something physical with a large investment piece that will maintain itself, so to speak, if that yeah. makes sense. Like, it's it's going to have value regardless of the economy and whose name yeah, is on it. It's, absolutely. You can't say that for very many other things. The value of the ag land just went up, and then the interest rates have gone up. And I was talking to a, a producer that owns ag land that the neighbor's place came up for sale. They, uh, there's a death in the family, and the kids didn't want to keep it. We all, we all know the story, right? He has substantial off-farm income, not enough to just go and pay cash for a big chunk of farmland, right? So he was doing the math, and with the increase in interest rates last year to this year, his payment went up $1,300 a month just because of the higher interest rates. Just because of the higher interest rates, he's paying an additional, well, 13 times 12, right? Uh $115,000 a year-ish, more in just interest that you, yep. have, that you have to cover with ag production. Uh, I mean, it gets hard when you're buying That's in at, at a top in the market. This isn't the most ag land's ever going to be worth, but it might no. be before that note, that 30-year note's paid off <clears throat> before yep. you realize some of that appreciation again. You know, those guys in that room that are trying to buy, I mean, it's a big feat, you know, buying 40 acres or 80 acres and paying for it with farm income. So, so how are we, how are we going to run, you know, 2,500 and 5,000 acre operations or larger having control of those assets? Yeah. So where I was at the other day is relatively close to Seattle. I mean, within an hour's drive of Seattle. And that puts it in prime development. And I asked all the baby boomers in the room, are you going to do a good job of transitioning your farmland to keep it farmland? Do you want it to be farmland or do you want it to be houses? Because if you do a poor job transitioning that farmland, it's going to be houses. And that's not the case everywhere, right? It's just not the reality everywhere. Yeah, I was going to say, like, those pressures may look different or have a different title, but they're everywhere. Yeah. 
And for those guys that, you know, it's like you mentioned earlier, that guy that has all that stuff in his head, those are in them guys' heads as well. Yep. And, and it's going to happen. Like that's a reality. If you own land that you will have to face at some point in time, whether that's going to be family development, your neighbor or who. Yep. And to not address that is probably going to decrease the number of people that are in that room again. If you'd like to follow along with TJ, you can check out Born to Farm. That's Born, the number two farm on Facebook. And if you want to see the latest hay news, you can check out hay-kings.com and click on news. Thank you to Nick Palmieri at Palmieri Sound for your expertise in audio editing. And thank you to Jessica Palmieri, our social media coordinator.